The journey to cloud is not the same for everyone. In fact, for some, it can be a grueling and daunting process. For CIOs and CTOs of century-year-old companies, they are burdened by server after server piling up as they tackle the obstacle of migrating data to the cloud. Meanwhile, peers at digitally native companies born in the cloud use their agility and ease of scale to soar past their old school brethren. So what's a legacy company to do? The reality, I think, in the environments are there's all stages of software in these companies and disentangling that and figuring out how to move to the cloud is a journey. And that's the thing where we are really excited about being able to help with at least taking care of the infrastructure pieces. So CIOs and CTOs can focus on the application layers and not really have to worry about how the infrastructure gets operated. That's Preeti Samal, Vice President of Engineering at HashiCorp, a company constructed on the idea of building open source communities to help users quickly implement the infrastructure necessary to run cloud applications. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Preeti unpacks how open source tools are helping customers get to the cloud faster, how hybrid cloud models have evolved over the years, and more. IT Visionaries is created by the team at Mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the Vice President of Engineering at HashiCorp, Preeti Samal. Preeti, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm uh, super excited about chatting with you today. All right, let's get right to it. HashiCorp and its suite of products are some of the most popular products in that I've ever heard about in uh, among the developer community. So everyone I know that is a full stack developer or a backend developer is using a HashiCorp product at some level. For those that don't know what you guys do, what is HashiCorp and what are some of the products and why do you think it has become such a standard in the development community? Yeah, awesome. Let's start with that. Um, so HashiCorp is a company that is uh, really focused on helping customers on their uh, journey to cloud. Uh, you know, as we know, digital transformation is top of mind and it really uh, sort of upends the way that applications are being built because you no longer have sort of the traditional data centers and uh, methods of operating. And so our product suite is essentially helping customers on that journey. When you think of us, you know, we were really founded as an open source software company. And we have eight open source projects today. And um, these projects really kind of play different roles in that journey for the cloud operating model. The first set of products were really around helping developers um, kind of in their dev time environment in building images. And those are Vagrant and Packer. Um, and Vagrant and Packer, you know, almost become sort of household names in any developer community now. Uh, we followed that with uh, Terraform. And uh, Terraform is used to essentially provision your infrastructure. Uh, you know, some of you might have heard of uh, this sort of concept of infrastructure as code, uh, which essentially means that your infrastructure provisioning is also sort of built as code and can be reviewed and version controlled and so on. 
And Terraform is really kind of the tool that introduced that concept and, and continues to sort of build on that. Um, we also have Vault. Vault was sort of created out of a need uh, to manage secrets in a dynamic world. And uh, we've been sort of adding on to the Vault capability where we now have uh, capabilities around encryption, um, as well as a, a really exciting new project that was sort of born out of the Vault family called Boundary, uh, which is one of our newest open source projects. And Boundary is around sort of access management for uh, sort of more dynamic runtime environments. Um, and then to round it off, we've got Console. Uh, console is in the networking space. Uh, and as you can imagine, you know, um, engineers and, and DevOps folks are really sort of building more microservices, more dynamic uh, applications. And uh, console essentially helps you to sort of manage and wire that traffic together, overlay policies. Um, and finally, we've got Nomad. Nomad is a runtime scheduler, uh, really easy to use. You can kind of get it up and running. And that's sort of the, the ease of use aspect has been sort of a core part of our philosophy around building products. And last but not least, uh, Waypoint. If you haven't heard of Waypoint and you're a developer, definitely go check it out. It's, uh, it's really sort of born out of a lot of our own experiences around building software and uh, aims to kind of help that pipeline from committing code to deploying code uh, become even simpler. So I know I threw out a lot of project names yeah. there. Uh, hopefully some of these are ones that you all have heard of. And, uh, uh, you know, there's always sort of checking out our websites for more. Yeah, listen, the, the one common core that I think has, you know, for our audience, it's not as familiar with this because I'll, I'll go with this. I think some of our audience, of course, is core developers. So they'll know exactly what you're talking about. And then some of our audiences no idea what happened, you know, like maybe they have no idea how, let's say, an infrastructure, why it needs to be managed. Uh, they, they have a different domain experience. One of the things I think about when I think of HashiCore is this common core is enabling people to set up the infrastructure or access services that they need to develop applications faster. And, you know, I'd love to ask you this question. It's like a, it's like the chicken or the egg. Which came first, HashiCore or DevOps? I feel like, <laughs> I, feel like this, I feel like as these products got built, DevOps came possible, became possible. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't really know how. Uh, I think the reason why DevOps didn't exist really before HashiCore is because it wasn't possible. Uh, <laughs> some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I like to think of it as a virtuous cycle uh, where, you know, if you sort of look at how the products came to be, I think our co-founders were sort of kind of early DevOps sort of uh, running into some of those problems, right? And so they built these tools and they built them in an open source community and that just helped kind of the virtuous cycle of enabling uh, DevOps to become stronger, become easier, and, uh, you know, really sort of at the core of it is what you were saying, faster, more agility, and ultimately being able to sort of focus on the business problems that they want to solve without having to kind of build a lot of tooling around the infrastructure pieces that enable them to sort of write those uh, business problems applications, right? So 
Uh, yeah, I, I'm probably going to be up late at night, kind of thinking about that chicken and egg situation. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, for our audience, just to carry you back, like let's take some of our audience members back. Let's say 10, 15 years. You know, if a developer was assigned a project and they needed an environment or they needed some network access to a specific data pool, it was a painful process of opening tickets. Like maybe someone else was in charge. It took a while to get that provision. Like there was no, it wasn't easy basically to just build a simple test environment. And then as consumer demand increased and wanted more products and services and more updates, there had to be a way to connect to connect the developer, I guess, closer to the ability to set up their infrastructure so that they could spin up, like you said, even a micro applica- microservice application just to even put into concept something that would say, hey, this can solve the problem. And then the emergence of the DevOps world, which is like the more demands for saying like, hey, we need to be able to do this faster. I'm curious now for what you've seen, because you've been involved in cloud for most of your career, all of your career, and you've been in HashiCorp for the last three, four years. Talk to me about how that evolution has changed in regards to the demand for a business to need its developers to create new microservices applications on the fly. Talk about how that's changed. Like, What was this time to fruition back then and what does it look like now that HashiCorp is part of the equation? Yeah, uh, you know, um, it does bring back some painful memories, but <laughs> uh, happy to sort of go there. I, you know, I think it, exactly as you were saying, the the approach to get anything out into a test environment, let alone a production environment, was around tickets. It also led to this situation where it wasn't just sort of the time to be able to build something, but also the concept of hoarding. Because you know, if I'm an engineer and I needed an environment and I know how painful it is to get one, I'm going to go and try and get the biggest one I can because then I can sort of hold on to it. And that, you know, I saw firsthand at, at you know, both VMware as well as Yahoo. Um, and interestingly, even at Yahoo, as we were working on making that lifecycle shorter, we were actually using some of the HashiCorp products as well. That cycle has reduced tremendously. And what we see uh, customers doing uh, essentially, you know, with Terraform, for instance, is just sort of creating kind of a self-service uh, environment where as an engineer, as a developer, I can go in and I can provision the infrastructure I want and I don't have to talk to anybody. And as part of our sort of enterprise suite of products, what we are able to do is overlay some policies, right? So if I feel if kind of the policy is where I'm going to exceed my budget, then that gets flagged. So it's sort of the the model has shifted to really kind of the developer enabling them, empowering them, yet sort of putting some guardrails in place where, you know, sort of enterprise policies can kind of be implemented with those guardrails. And I've seen some like kind of what you hinted at, the ability to spin up infrastructure, but also the same ability to take it down because we hear about all the time with CIOs, CTOs, they're talking about cloud cost creep. Like it's not, it's not what everyone says it is, right? Where, oh, it's cloud, it's cheaper. It's not true because if you have developers spinning up environments, spinning up networks, spinning up services, spinning up all these different things, but then they, let's say they forget about it. Well, you just get, you just get continuously built. <laughs> <Right>. Yes. <laughs> and, 
Talk about HashiCorp's role in helping businesses even control cloud costs, because that's one of the things that's like, I don't think it was your true intention, but it's become a byproduct of what you can do. Exactly. You know, our our sort of intention, of course, was to enable that workflow to be really smooth, seamless, and also sort of multi-cloud, right? Because uh, we know that that sort of developers and companies are looking at not just AWS, but Azure, GCP, and, and multi-cloud environments. And along the way, you know, we've realized and, and our customers and our community has uh, brought forward more and more use cases. So the one around cloud cost management, right? The being able to see, kind of have a central place where you can go into Terraform and see all the workspaces you have, all the infrastructure that you provision, being able to kind of estimate what that's going to cost you, and then putting some policies in place around tearing these environments down. That's been an interesting area that we've kind of uh, started building a lot of capabilities around. Cost is one. The other one, of course, is security, right? So how do we make sure that all of these environments that are up and running are secure? And with you know, products like Vault and Console and sort of this notion of a zero trust environment, kind of tying all of those pieces together and, and giving customers uh, the ability to layer policies on top of that. It just, it, it really sort of makes it, helps you get to a point where, uh, you know, there is an element of really enabling that agility, yet doing that in a way where you can make sure that, you know, you're not going to end up with like what they call a CNN moment on your hands, right? So uh, that's been really interesting to be able to fulfill that vision through the products. So, you know, you mentioned it right there. As the technical footprint continues to expand and it's never going to get smaller, I, can, I agree, it's, it's just going to get bigger from now on. There's always going to be new layers of complexity. Now, products like HashiCore are actually enabling multi-cloud usage. Uh, I remember just three or four years ago when people said multi-cloud, they didn't actually mean it. They meant they like use Azure independently and they use GCP independently, but like they didn't use services between the two, right? <laughs> like it was like, yeah. they were like, it was like basically pinballing back and forth. Right. Um, but now it's fully connected, interwoven mesh, as you discussed. What does that mean for you in regards to, you're in charge of the engineering at HashiCore. You have these new complexities that are always coming up. You have, you know, like you just said, you can't always forecast how you're, clients even use your services, what they're unlocking with the services. Yet you mentioned that core, core concept of you want to not have a CNN moment. Talk to me about what that, what that means for you and your team. How do you develop? What are your, some of your philosophies in developing the services so that you can make sure your customers don't have those CNN moments? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I'd, I'd start with uh, the core principles around how we build software are to focus on the workflows that customers have. And, and really, you know, one of our sort of Tao principles is workflows, not technology. So how are customers building these applications? What are the uh, sort of adjacent areas that they need us to solve? And how do we do that in a multi-cloud manner? Because, you know, literally every enterprise you talk to sort of, and it's not just sort of AWS and Azure or GCP, but it's also they've got pieces that they need to connect back into in their data center as well, right? So much as we'd like the world to be fully cloud, 
we're still on that journey. Um, so, you know, focusing on what the customer's problems are, making sure that we can continue to innovate and build products in a really sort of easy to use modular manner and really sort of thinking about security more inherently. And let's maybe spend a couple of minutes talking about security because part of my role at HashiCorp uh, is also running kind of our security organization. So the, the HashiCorp CSO, Chief Security Officer, uh, is part of engineering. And for us, that was really key because we think about security as something that is inherently part of our engineering and development process. So uh, the security or, you know, just things like best practices and patterns for building secure software, doing all the appropriate scans. One of the things we haven't talked about yet is we are also putting a lot of effort into delivering our products as cloud services. And of course, you know, with the, the, the level of responsibility that customers place on our shoulders uh, with using our products, not just sort of products they download, but the services that we are bringing to market, we take sort of upholding that trust really, really seriously. Uh, and so security is sort of front and center for, for us as we're building the products and in how our uh, sort of product features enable customers uh, to build in a secure manner. Let me ask a question. Do you meet with CIOs and CTOs of companies that have yet to go to cloud? Um, no, I think most of the CIOs, CTOs, uh, you know, they've, they've got some cloud presence and they're really looking at how can they increase their footprint, do it in a manner that enables the agility and having those guardrails in place, right? So, I mean, I'm sure you see this pattern, uh, you know, sort of different sort of companies are at different stages in yep. that journey, but at the core of it, it's always this, this sort of need to, how can I get my developers to go faster and how can I do it in a way that doesn't like create security issues for me, right? Yeah. And, you know, they always want to move faster. That's, that's a given. You know, and they, the, you mentioned security being one of the reservations. Do they ever get scared or I guess what are their fears? I'm trying to understand because that's one of the things that I think about right now. And we, we've had different people from the big clouds, the public clouds come on and they talk about how, you know, the numbers vary, but some people estimate that only 20% of the world's workloads are actually in cloud. So what is stopping the rest from moving there? Or is there something inherently that will never fully move there? I'm curious what you've heard as what are some like maybe the fear, uncertainty, and doubt of moving all in on cloud? Because that to me, the number is, it's both surprisingly huge and small. Like when I see, you know, every quarter AWS and GCP report their numbers and Azure report the numbers, it seems like, oh my God, every company's in there. And then their sales reps, like actually only 20%. It's like, oh my goodness, like it's even bigger outside. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think that's what's so exciting about this cloud journey and transformation is that it's a massive market and it's still you know, you mentioned 20%, right? It's still sort of relatively speaking a little bit early. Yeah. Um, right. So, you know, I, I think some of the patterns we see are uh, essentially, you know, skills shortage, uh, things like 
trying to work through how uh, how they sort of bring cloud more front and center. Uh, how do they make it? A lot of large companies are sort of creating uh, sort of internal platform teams that enable then all their other teams to uh, go to the cloud. So I don't think fundamentally there is a barrier, uh, you know, kind of keeping some of the more regulated, uh, more traditional industries aside for a, a moment. Um, I think it's really around uh, the fact that it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And, and I saw a bunch of this even at Yahoo, right, where, um, hey, you know, when uh, Verizon AOL happened, there was still like a bank of servers that were doing dial-up modems, right? So, <laughs> you know, and the reality, I think, in the in the environments are that there is there sort of all, there's all stages of software in these companies and sort of disentangling that and, and figuring out how to move to the cloud is a journey. And, and that's the thing where we are really excited about being able to help with at least kind of taking care of the infrastructure pieces. So, so you know, CIOs and CTOs can sort of focus on the application layers and uh, not really have to worry about how the infrastructure sort of gets operated. And of course, I'm I'm making it sound really easy. Uh, yeah. Even on the infrastructure side, you know, there is there's a lot of work that does go in, and and a big shout out to all our open source users and our enterprise customers uh, using all the products. It's uh, it's it's really um, you know sort of a journey for them, and and we feel privileged to be their partners on this journey. So that's one of the things that I was you know kind of reading between the lines of what you were just discussing, it sounds, you know, it sounds like a lot of the journey, it's not a technical problem. It's a people problem. It's a process problem. People don't know how they're going to do things. Not like that. If they can, it's like, how will I enable? How will I monitor? How will I, you know, roll back? Like what's my process going to be for anything like that? It seems like companies are more focused on the how, which is not a bad problem. I mean, you certainly need that problem. But like the methodology and the tools to use, it seems like the technical has been answered. It's more like the people process thing that stops people from taking on, you know, these transformation projects. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, what I'd say is I wouldn't underestimate the technology pieces, but, you know, there are vendors like us and others that are really sort of helping with the technology pieces. I think it's the people and the process. And, you know, that's, sort of, it's, it's important to talk about that a bit because one of the reasons why we believe that we've had uh, the success that we've had is because on the people side, we've really worked in the open source community and have sort of embraced a model of collaboration with open source. And on the process side, we have a really strong focus on the workflows and ease of use. Uh, And so for someone who wants to, you know, let's say kick the tires on Terraform and is just sort of curious about, hey, what does this Terraform thing do? I'm hearing about it from all my friends. It's really easy for them to go download it and kind of get it up and running. And with our cloud offerings, we are working really hard to make it even easier, right? So I feel like there are ways to help that people and process piece uh, as well. And, uh, you know, I, 
we, we definitely are seeing progress happening on, on both of those fronts too. Is there any resistance to the fact that HashiCorp still relies on, an, like you said, an open source model? Does that scare enterprises or are they okay with it? I mean, obviously with the success of Red Hat, uh, I would assume that everything's answered, but I feel like at the same time, people are still nervous. Like, oh man, on the infrastructure side, like you literally can just spin up a server and drop code into like different environments and access data if you have the right permissions. It seems kind of scary to let that be governed by potentially the community, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh- Absolutely. You know, I think uh, I think we feel like we are past those set of concerns. I think, uh, you know, anyone who sort of watched and tracked us on the open source community side understands how we operate and, uh, you know, has a high, high degree of confidence in our uh, sort of shepherding of the community and, and how uh, we're able to make progress uh, in open source um, without sort of really uh, hitting any any sort of uh, rat holes or, or any of that, right? Got it. And then when you think about, because one of the things that you have a unique seat to and access to is to see like the interesting applications that people are, are basically building, uh, <laughs> right? What are some of the things that are you're most excited about that you just, you know, maybe just didn't expect HashiCorp to play a part in? Yeah, um, you know, our uh, marketing team has been doing a fantastic uh, job at uh, a bunch of case studies. And uh, these case studies are really, really interesting. Uh, So, for instance, we're seeing increasing usage in sort of edge use cases. Uh, So one of the case studies is around farming and how HashiCorp products help uh, really sort of automate all the various farms out there for this company. One of them is around uh, sort of automotives and sort of self-driving sort of technology and how our products are helping there. So it's really fascinating to see the role that the products play in, you know, some of these sort of areas that have, you don't kind of think about traditionally as being automated, uh, where we're seeing our products being used. And of course, you know, sort of for me, there's another unique lens where as I sort of interact with my peers, uh, you know, everyone is like, oh my gosh, you know, I love Terraform or I love Wald. And, and so it's, it's really fulfilling to feel that sort of customer and user uh, sort of usage and love for our products. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, because, you know, you mentioned earlier in the conversation, you used these products prior to joining HashiCorp. Is that, is that accurate? That is accurate. And uh, there's a fun little side story there, which is, uh, you know, of course, I knew Packer, Vagrant, Terraform, Vault. But when, the, uh, when kind of this opportunity came up, I had not associated the company name with the, the product <laughs> names. And, you know, I'm talking like three and a half years ago now. Uh, so yeah, the the product names have, have become really household names, and uh, you know we've come a long way around building the company's brand as well. And then when it comes to like your team's engineering, your you know you oversee the engineering teams. Is it split into like the different products? Are they like almost like different mini teams, or do people work across the products? Yeah, great question. So we are structured along what what I kind of call 
uh, horizontals and verticals. And so the verticals are the, the products, right? The, the Terraform, Console, Nomad, Vault, Packer, Vagrant, and uh, Boundary and Waypoint now. And then the, the horizontals are teams that uh, sort of provide services. So, uh, you know, program management, security, our cloud platform. And so we, we've been trying to sort of optimize how we can continue the space of delivery with providing as many of sort of the, the horizontal capabilities as possible. We also see increasingly customers uh, deploying our products together, right? So I think, you know, expecting to have like a Terraform provider for our products, that's, you know, very, very clear use case. So we have been putting a lot of focus on sort of cross product integrations as well. So as customers deploy multiple products in the same environment, it just becomes easier and easier to use them together. Gotcha. And when you do, I guess when you go to UAT or testing or basically, I guess maybe it's even in the product development phase, because you kind of hinted at it before, is that customers are coming with new use cases for your services all the time. So how do you approach UAT or product development in regards to these services? Because you have these independent services that have to live by themselves, but you just mentioned they're often deployed together or they cross over or, you know, whether concurrently or eventually (laughs) these products kind of meet, right? (laughs) Right. So how do you, from a product development, engineering development standpoint, how do you picture or account for these interoperable use cases that, you know, you might not know exist yet? Yeah. Uh, You know, I think, uh, the, for the ones that we don't know that exist yet, it, it really is a really strong focus on listening to our community and our customers, right? So uh, one of our core principles is around sort of, sort of approaching everything with humility and sort of this beginner's mind aspect, right? Where we listen really, really carefully and, and we don't assume that we have all the answers, right? So that's where we are connecting the dots around new use cases that come up. Uh, but to answer your question around for some of the existing integrations, I'd say there's two ways to sort of think about how we test these. One is around sort of a UAT environment, sort of cross product, uh, sort of compatibility matrices and so on. More of sort of a traditional testing thing that, that you typically see. The other one, and this is one that we're super excited about, is I'd mentioned that we've been working on launching cloud-based services for our products, right? So instead of you having to download Vault and and sort of set it up in your environment, you can just come to our uh, portal and click a few buttons and you'll get Vault as a service. Now, that platform is actually built using our own products. Uh, And so that's been a fantastic experience where we have gotten really sort of a firsthand seat around, okay, we're going to use our own products to build our cloud platform. And yeah, we've found a few rough edges that, uh, you know, we've definitely uh, worked on making simpler. (laughs) That's always how it goes, right? As soon as you use it, you're like, oh, that's not what I expected. (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. How about when you when it comes to the future? Because 
the future's largely unwritten. I'm sure there's going to be new product lines. Like you mentioned, you mentioned the core products of HashiCore. There's going to be more. Like that's just how it's going to be. Where do you envision the business moving towards, or where do you like? You know, you don't have to necessarily have the answer right now for what the product's going to be. Like, where do you? What domains and spaces do you see HashiCore evolving into? Uh, great question. So I think a few things are pretty clear, and uh, the first and foremost one is. Uh, you know, continuing to help customers use our products as quickly and as effectively as possible. And that's where the cloud delivery model comes in. And so really we pick up the responsibility of all the SRE work uh, that, you know, traditionally customers would do. Uh, So cloud and delivering all our products uh, via the cloud delivery model, um, that one's pretty clear. I think, you know, we will continue innovating uh, clearly. Um, The areas to sort of look at are in this domain of how do we make developers uh, more sort of effective? How do we help them really get to focus on their application logic? around the security pieces, uh, you know, zero trust security is something that we've been talking about and, and we we feel like there's a lot more uh, that we can do there. Um, I'd mentioned some of the edge set of use cases that we're seeing. Uh, another uh, piece that we are uh, sort of starting to hear from customers is, is serverless and how um, the workflows uh, sort of evolve as serverless becomes a bigger part of their application toolkit. So yeah, that's that's kind of a sampling. I think the pattern here really though is listening to the developers and understanding what are the issues they run into. And then of course, sort of using our own experiences because we're building software as well and, and really helping kind of narrow areas where we can add more value. Interesting. When it comes to the new wave of developers, like you saw, I said, your, your focus is always going to be support developers. Are you seeing, like, let's say the next wave of engineers coming out of school, are you seeing like a greater percentage of them having experience with HashiCore? Or yeah, have you guys done any studies or work on that? Like, wow, these kids, like I call them kids, but these adults, young engineers, they already have experience with our tools. Like this is how they work. You know, bits and pieces. So I, I I wouldn't say that we have like really clear indications yet, but uh, bits and pieces. And, uh, you know, one of the things is as we ourselves grow as a company that I'm super excited about is we're starting to partner with some universities around just sort of industry programs that, you know, universities typically run. Uh, and so this year is sort of our first set of those partnerships. And uh, uh, we're really going to be uh, looking at sort of what learnings come out of that and then seeing how we move forward. Uh, you know, one of our core principles is, is to also just sort of learn and iterate on models, right? So I'm super excited about uh, this year and some of the university partnerships and uh, you know, maybe if we talk again in a, in a year or so, I'll have a, a better answer for you there. Hey, listen, I think you just unlocked the next business. Uh, we already know like from our lead sponsor, right? The 
Salesforce is obviously our lead sponsor. We know that there's a whole industry of people just to teach other people how to use Salesforce or custom config Salesforce. HashiCorp is going to be the same thing. All right, you just unlock the next. So whoever wants to be in business teaching the next wave of developer how to use HashiCorp products, I can, I can promise you, you will never, you will always have business. There's always going to be a new wave of people that need to use this tool. <laughs> this is one of the, well, this is one of the, it's truly one of the more interesting things is that it's become ubiquitous with backend development. It really has. Curiously, like when, when you, were at your previous stops, like let's say Yahoo, you were in the cloud services division. What percentage of people did you see that you have had backend responsibilities that you see could that knew how to use one or more of these services? Yeah, you know, so um, I would say maybe like seventy to eighty percent, right? And okay, that's a big number. It's <laughs> a big number, and I think the the the, the pattern is with large corporations that kind of build their internal platforms, it sort of gets cemented in those platforms from the ground up and pretty much everybody building code then ends up sort of using the tooling, right? Yeah. So that, that was, you know, four years ago, 80%. Right. I'm going to call it right now. It's nine, you know, I'll never say a hundred, but it's 95. <laughs> <laughs> So I read somewhere that this is your first remote position. And as someone who's, you know, you've spent the vast majority of your year working with engineering teams in person, what have been some of the uh, challenges? How have you been able to adjust to a distributed workforce of engineers? Because I know in engineering specifically, there's a lot of collaboration that has to happen a lot of times before, you know, anything gets built because everyone's got to be on the same page. So what has that been like for you to work in this new environment to build engineering teams? Yeah, um, you know, so we were founded as remote first. Uh, both our co-founders uh, were working remotely. And one of the things that has been really uh, strong about our engineering culture is that sort of remote first from the ground up in a very thoughtful manner led to the creation of processes that really helped us scale. So for instance, uh, we write a lot. We've got a very strong RFC process where we kind of document our design and we send it out for feedback. Uh, we've got a really strong cadence of sort of all hands and communication meetings and so on. Uh, we use Slack, Zoom, and of course, GitHub. You know, yeah. GitHub was kind of the OG <laughs> of uh, remote and distributed uh, work, right? So. I feel fortunate coming in that, you know, that foundation was established really early and, and has served us well. Um, as for me personally, you know, yeah, I, I did have some awkward moments like my first all hands where I'm trying to read the room and it's, it's really hard to read the room on, on uh, kind of a Zoom webinar. right? Um, but I do seriously sort of talk about how personally my writing skills have tremendously improved over these last few years because, you know, we basically write down anything that more than two people kind of need to know kind of gets written down and gets shared. So I feel like we found a good pattern and uh, we are going to continue to uh, improve and iterate on our processes as we continue to grow in our remote first environment here. All right, I got to ask a question. How much writing do you think you do a week now compared to, you know, before? So a, a lot, although the key here is it's 
flows more naturally. So in terms of time spent, I don't know if it's that dramatically different, but it's a lot more productive because I can actually sit down and, and write up a document in like 30 minutes that would have originally sort of taken me hours to write. <laughs> no, I got to respect that. I agree. I, I agree with that philosophy. I always tell people, if you didn't write it down, it's not, if it wasn't important enough for you to write down, it's not important enough for me to know. Yeah. Yeah. In <laughs> fact, fun fact is that, uh, I've been I've been using that approach for my teenage kids as well. I just write stuff to them and, and let them kind of deal with it. Then. <laughs> how do they like that? <laughs> well, they're kind of still trying to figure out how to respond, right? But uh, it's just I find that it leads to a much more sort of thoughtful and uh, you know you know like a more deliberate sort of articulation of what you want to say. All right, listen, next time they want something from you that you don't agree with, just makes them, you know, write in. Give me a three-page essay on why this matters. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Preeti, I appreciate you joining us today and dis discussing some of your experiences at HashiCore, where you're developing towards. But right now, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Preeti, this is where we ask you questions outside of the working world maybe some in the working world, but just so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. You ready? Yeah. What do you enjoy about working remote? Well, I think it's just not having a commute, right? <laughs> um, but I do miss, miss kind of seeing folks in person. And, you know, we've got some ways where we kind of create some of those in-person events kind of pre-pandemic and hopefully soon again. What's the one part of being in the office that you miss? Uh, just sort of having those conversations, kind of the random moments of connecting with people that are on the same floor. That's what I miss. <laughs> <laughs> have you picked up any hobbies during work from home, pandemic, whatever you want to call it? Have you picked up any new, new hobbies? Um, we did. Um, we have a COVID puppy, so I'd say that's <laughs> more than a hobby. But yeah, that's <laughs> keeping us busy. <laughs> Is this your first dog? No, we have a four and a half year old and then a six month old puppy now. Do you regret getting a puppy? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> What's one piece of technology that wows you? You know, I, I think increasingly it's what's happening in biotech. Uh, you know, I, clearly the work we do is really important, but just thinking about some of the biotech work that sort of saves lives. Um, so whether it's, some of the implants and some of the sort of, you know, cardiac devices, like there's just a whole slew of things that are so impressive. No, I agree. When you mentioned earlier, some of the ag sciences, so whether it's ag science, biotech, like medical, medical science, it's amazing what's going to happen in the future to, you know, benefit humanity. Right. I agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent. So this is going to be more work-related question. What is the best advice you would give to someone who is now going to take over a remote engineering team? Um, I'd say, you know, just spend as much time as you can connecting with your team, uh, set up strong channels of uh, communication, transparency, don't assume people know the context, you know, just sort of providing that context as often as you can, being a broken record and just kind of repeating, 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 right? <laughs> I agree 100%. Like you can never assume if someone knows anything. I only, I like to joke with my teammates. I only say three things. Tops. <laughs> true, true. Preeti, I want to thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your story and thanks for sharing some of the future in store for HashiCore. 
Yeah, that, likewise, it was uh, really fun chatting with you and uh, I look forward to sort of continuing on this journey here. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.